You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here. I don't normally sound like this if you're visiting with us um, and you come back next week. Uh, my voice might not be quite so cool and husky. Uh, I'm sort of struggling with my voice, so you can also pray for me as I preach tonight that the voice lasts out till the end. Um, I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open. Uh, Philippians 2, which uh, Mez just read to us, it's page 951, uh, so you can follow that along. Uh, three young men hopped on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s uh, and they walked straight to the back where there was a lone African-American man sitting on the back seat uh, and they started to insult him and provoke him uh, and try and get him to react and respond. Uh, But he refused to do it. He ignored them. He kept looking straight ahead and he wouldn't engage with their insults. So they turned up the heat, they really tried to insult him, they really tried to get under his skin, but he continued to just ignore them, not respond to them. Eventually, uh, he stood up, and uh, the three young men realized that this guy was bigger than he'd looked when he was sitting down, much bigger. He was a really big guy. And he reached into his pocket, handed them a business card, and just walked straight down the aisle and got off the bus. They looked at the business card, and it just said, Joe Lewis, boxer. These these three guys had picked on the person who was to become the world heavyweight boxing champion, and he held that title from 1937 through to 1949. He's rated by a lot of boxing authorities as the greatest heavyweight boxer ever, even more than Muhammad Ali, who's rated at number two by a lot of people behind Joe Lewis. A guy with such skill and athleticism and and a devastating punch that most of his fights ended with his opponent flat out, knocked out on the canvas. And yet on that day on the bus, he chose not to respond to the insults which were coming his way. He held all of that skill and power to himself Uh, fortunately for three young guys who picked the wrong guy to pick a fight with that day. Um, Now, boxers are not really known for their humility. Uh, Often when you see those sort of pre-boxing match conferences, it's about telling people how great you are and how good you are at, uh, at, you know, what you do. But Joe Lewis was actually quite renowned for his humility. Um, This wasn't just a one-off incident on the bus. But actually, it was reflected in a lot of his life. And part of the reason that he was such a cult hero in America was because of his humility in the way that he lived. Uh, Humility is the focus of what we're thinking about today. This passage from Philippians 2 focuses on humility. And humility is a character trait, um, a virtue, something good in character that we might seek after, which has got a, a fair bit of attention in recent years, uh, particularly in the areas of leadership, um, particularly in business leadership. So uh, Jim Collins, who's a business writer and researcher, uh, wrote a book in the early 2000s called Good to Great. There's a picture of it 
um, on the screen. And what he was basically doing in that book was he's, he'd looked at a lot of companies which had moved from being just good companies, um, you know, succeeding pretty well, but alongside other companies which are doing similarly well, but they'd moved from being just good to really great, like outperforming their competitors, um, just gunning in the, in the work that they're doing. And he was really asking the question, how do businesses move from being just good businesses to really great businesses? And he looked at the leaders, I mean, this was quite extensive research, he looked at hundreds and hundreds of companies, what sort of leaders are able to move a company from being just good to really great? And he said, basically, two key characteristics of the leaders who are able to do this. He called them level five leaders. Firstly, they were very determined, okay? So they had, they knew what they wanted to do. They had uh, a strong, what he called, professional will, right? They knew the vision, they knew what they were gonna do, and they were determined to keep on going, to see it through, okay? Strong will. But the second character trait was that they were Humble. Now that goes against what you would expect, isn't it? When you think about you know, business leaders who are really taking their businesses forward, you think of a, a type A leader, take no prisoners, take every mountain type person who'll just steamroll everyone in their way. But Collins found that these really great leaders who were able to transform their companies were humble people. It wasn't about them, it was about the vision that they had for the company which is part of the reason that the companies became really great, because it wasn't about the leader. And even when that person stepped down from their position, the company continued to be great because it wasn't all about them, it wasn't about their ego, it wasn't about everyone thinking they were great, but achieving what they'd set out to achieve, great humility coupled with determination and will. Humble servant leadership as the way to bring great change, great transformation. Who'd have thunk it, hey? Um, for us as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised because the model of leadership for us, the one that Christians follow is Jesus, who is the great example of a humble and servant leader. Um, as we look at this passage uh, today from Philippians 2, when we think about leadership, uh, sorry, we think about humility, um, humility in our lives and in our, our leadership when we have leadership responsibilities, uh, but humility generally. I want us to think about, okay, why should we be humble? What's the motivation for being humble? What actually is humility? Uh, and then look at the model of humility that we have set before us as motivation, really, uh, in Jesus, who is the great leader. Uh, so again, grab your Bibles, page 951. Uh, and have a look there. Um, the first thing I want us to think about is what's the basis for humility? Why should we be humble? Um, and I want you to have a look at the first two verses which really help us with that. This is really thinking about what's the logic, um, more generally, for Christians trying to change the way that we live? Why should Christians try and live differently? Why should we seek to do things like to be humble or to have other character traits uh, in our lives? Why should we change ourselves? What's the basis for that? Uh, verse 1 starts with the word therefore, and I was taught when I was at school that when there's a therefore, you've got to ask, what's the therefore therefore? Okay, anyone else taught that at school? A bit corny, but helpful. Um, it's there because 
Paul's continuing an argument that he's been making. Back in chapter 1, verse 27, he said this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay? Whatever happens in life, whether it's good or bad, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the basis for Christians living differently. We do it in response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's because of what Jesus has done for us through his death on the cross, dying for our sins, his rising from the dead to give us a new life, a transformed life, life that goes on forever, that we live the way that we do. Let's be quite clear about this. Christians don't live differently because we think that by changing our lives, being good people, incorporating good character traits in our life, God will say, wow, I see how good you've become. I accept you. That's not how Christianity works. It works like this instead. God says, I accept you through Jesus. And therefore, we live differently because of what Jesus has done for us. We receive the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. We receive the new life that we have in Jesus. And therefore, we live in response to it. We live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. We want to live differently. And that flows on in what Paul's going to say after the therefore. He follows it with four ifs. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. These aren't really hypotheticals. What he's doing here is he's saying, if you are a Christian, if you are someone who follows Jesus, then these things are necessarily true in your life. Saying, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you, are you encouraged when you think about the fact that Jesus has brought you into relationship with himself? He's united you with him. And in doing so, that means that you're united with a bunch of other people who are all in Jesus together. Isn't that encouraging? that Jesus brings us into relationship with himself and with each other. That's encouraging, isn't it? Can I see a few nods? Yeah, that's encouraging. When you think about Jesus' love and the fact that Jesus loves you unconditionally, that no matter what you do, Jesus loves you, does that give you comfort in your life, make you feel more secure that you are loved by Jesus in every area of your life? It's comforting, isn't it, to know that? And... Uh, isn't it great to know that, that God's Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus, that God's very presence is in you by the Holy Spirit, and that that same Spirit is in other followers of Jesus. So you have this being united together by one Holy Spirit being in all of us, having that in common. Um, that's a wonderful thing to share together, isn't it? Um, do you want to be a person who's known as being compassionate? Uh, and tender, gentle with other people. Paul's saying, are all of these things true? Can I see some nods? Yeah. If you're a Christian person, these, these are all things that we should say. These are great things to have in our life. Now, careful if you're nodding, because I'm setting you up here, because um, that's what Paul does. He says, if, 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 we're like, yep, four ticks, tick, tick, tick. He says, then, then, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. 
He's basically saying, look, if these things are true, then there's a response that needs to flow. If God has united us with himself, then we should be united with each other. We should live in a way where we show our unity in the way that we treat each other. If it's great to know that we're loved by Jesus, well, we should be loving people, right? We shouldn't just enjoy Jesus' love, but we should live out love. Um, If we have the Spirit of God in us, the same Spirit in all of us, then we should be united in terms of having one mind and one spirit, having a sense of being together because God's Holy Spirit is in each one of us. So he's basically saying, if the gospel is true, if the good news of Jesus is true, and we have these great things by putting our trust in Jesus that come to us, necessarily we've got to live differently in response to what Jesus has done for us. It flows out of our relationship that comes through Jesus. Now, he hasn't yet talked about humility. He's going to do that in a minute. But the same logic is true of humility as for all of these other things. We do it because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the good news of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus that we want to live differently. So just pause for a minute and ask yourself the question. When I think about my own life, what is motivating me to live a better life and to do things differently? If I'm honest with myself, am I doing it because I think that somehow I'm going to earn God's favour by living differently? Or am I doing it because I know that I'm already accepted by God through Jesus? He loves me. He's forgiven me. He says Jesus has dealt with all of your sins and that's why you're living differently because there is a world of difference between those two things and one of them works and one of them doesn't work. Every other religion in the world says, do certain things, live a certain way, and God will look at your good deeds and accept you. But Christianity says, we can never be good enough. We can never change ourselves enough. We can never transform our lives and be good enough. God is too perfect. God is too holy. We can never reach the standards. We fail too much. But God says, despite your failure, I love you. I accept you, my son Jesus has dealt with your sins, and I bring you into relationship with myself. Therefore, live in response to that. Analyze your own life and think, what is motivating me? Am I coming out of a point of security here in terms of the gospel truths that are prompting me to live that way? Because that's the only way that we'll be empowered to live lives that are different. Lives of love, lives of unity, and yes, lives of humility which is where Paul goes next, because humility is actually a very strong basis for being united with each other and showing love, okay? God accepts us through Jesus, therefore we live a good life in response. That's the the reason, the, the logic behind wanting to be humble. So what exactly is humility? I've been talking about it, but I haven't really defined it. Well, verses three and four are pretty helpful for thinking about what it is. This is what they say. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So do you notice that humility involves 
not doing some things, but instead doing some things. So there's kind of like a negative and a positive aspect to it. The, the negative parts are um, not doing things for selfish uh, reasons. Don't do things for selfish ambition or vain conceit. And in verse 4, don't look to your own interests. It's really saying don't just be out for yourself. Don't just be boosting your own goals and ego and your self-image. Uh, don't just look out for number one, as people say, because Paul would say, guess what? You're not number one. Someone else is number one. Um, don't just be looking out for yourself. So humility involves not just being on about yourself, but the flip side of it, the positive side of it, is that you're to value others above yourself and to look to the interests of other people. Now, if you think about that, that involves our thoughts as well as our actions. In terms of our thoughts, it's about thinking that other people are valuable. But if I, if I think I'm going to value other people, that's about how I, how I view them. I say they're a valuable person in and of themselves, and in fact, I'm going to hold them up and value them even higher than myself. That's about how we think about other people. But then looking to the interests of others is about practically how do you help other people in terms of the things that they're interested in and they're trying to achieve. It's about our actions as well as our thinking. Now, if you think about that, value people more highly than you value yourself and look to the interests of other people ahead of your own interests, does that make you nervous? Because it makes me very nervous when I start thinking about it. Uh, you start to think, hang on a second, but if I start valuing people ahead of myself and looking to their interests rather than my interests, what about me? Am I going to be taken advantage of and am I going to be treated like a doormat? It's, queer, it's very countercultural when we start thinking about what humility is and putting other people ahead of ourselves. Um, and if you're feeling nervous, good, because I think that you're starting to see how radical it is to follow Jesus and to put into practice some of the things that Jesus calls us to do. See, when I'm talking in a church here, I'm guessing that me talking about humility as a good thing is generally accepted as, yeah, we agree, humility is a good thing. But that view is not universal. I remember having a chat to a mate of mine, Simon. Um, he was uh, doing a PhD in psychology when I was in the psychology department. And I remember talking about humility as a good thing, and he just shot me down. He said, Christians and all their talk about humility, humility is a weakness. It's not a strength or a virtue. And in fact, one of the things that Christianity has sort of crippled the Western world with is this idea of humility, which is just such a weak trait um, that has infected the Western world. He was so negative about humility and how bad it was. And I was in this conversation, I was just, I was just gobsmacked because I'd been raised sort of with a Christian worldview and thought, humility is a good thing, isn't it? How could anyone think any differently? But for Simon, radically different view. And his opinion actually reflects the way that humility has been viewed throughout most of history. So there was a study at the uh, Macquarie University in Sydney, and they looked at how people wrote about humility 
uh, in the ancient world. It was you know, just a study of historical documents. Um, and what they found was that humility was regarded as a weakness throughout history until, guess what? Jesus. It was only with Jesus and the advent of Christianity, the start of Christianity, and then the spread of Christianity through the world, influencing things, that humility moved from being seen as a weakness to being held up as a virtue. So if you're nervous and you're thinking, yeah, but what about me? You're in good company because it's countercultural. It goes against many of our instincts to be treating others ahead of ourselves and seeking to serve their interests rather than our own. And yet at the same time, we do have to think about exactly what humility is and it isn't. Um, there's a great book by John Dixon, who's a, an Australian writer. He's a historian as well. And um, he, he gives three helpful points as we think about what humility is. And particularly if we're worried about, oh, what if I get treated like a doormat? What if people take advantage of me? Being clear on what humility is, I think, helps us with that as we try and put it into practice. The first thing he says is that humility necessarily um, assumes or presupposes that we have dignity um, in ourselves if we're going to show humility. So the language of humility is about being willing to lower yourself for the sake of others. That's inherent in, in the word itself, okay? Now, if you are lowering yourself, that assumes that you're starting from a position of height, right, or dignity. So the assumption is that you hold a certain position of power or dignity, but you're willing to give that up for the sake of serving others. That's what humility is about. Uh, and if you think about um, the example that I gave at the beginning with you know, Joe Lewis, here's a guy who is powerful, skillful, a dignified boxer, and yet he chose to hold that back to lower himself for the sake of those lucky um, teenagers who tried to pick a fight with him. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second one is that humility is a choice, right? It's, it's willing. So we use another word as well, which is similar to humility, which is humiliation, right? So if you humiliate someone, you lower them and treat them like dirt, but it's not their choice, is it? If I humiliate you, then I'm trying to lower you, but you're not choosing to do that. Whereas to be humble is I'm going to make a choice to lower myself for the sake of others. So it's active and it's a decision that you make. Uh, the third thing is that humility is done for the sake of others. It's social. It's not just about private thoughts, controlling my thoughts, not being too proud in the way that I think. Uh, it's not just about not telling everyone about my great achievements as many as they are, um, that's kind of what you might call modesty, and it's, it's a part of humility, I guess. But as Paul writes here, humility is about looking to the interests of others. It's about thinking about other people and how we might best serve them. So with that in mind, have a think about this. How is it that you might be able to show humility this week? Uh, if you're married or if you're in a relationship, how is it that you can show humility to your spouse? Um, or uh, at home, how can you show humility to uh, your parents? 
or your children. In the workplace, how is it that you might be able to show humility to someone that you work alongside? Maybe someone who's not that easy to get along with. Uh, What about your neighbours? Is there someone that you could show humility to in the place that you live? And I want you to start thinking about something that you could do to demonstrate humility. I'm going to get you to write it down, okay? So don't, don't skip out on the exercise. The first thing you've got to ask yourself, given what I've said is, what are the interests of the other person? What is it that they really want that is good for them? What are they interested in, right? If you're looking to the interests of others, you've got to know what their interests are, right? So what is it that they desire that is good for them that you could be thinking about serving them in? What is their interest? Okay, once you've worked out what it is that they need or desire, even if it's something that that you're not interested in, right, because you're not looking to your own interests, you're looking to their interests, then from a position of dignity and strength, you make a choice to do it. I'm going to humbly serve them in that way and so that they can seek after that interest even if it's not my own. I want you to hold it in your head, write it down. That's the one thing that you're going to go away this week and you're going to try to put into practice uh, in humility. I'm going to give you a minute to think about who the person is that you want to show humility to and what it is exactly that you're going to do, a choice that you're going to make to look to their interests, even if it's not your own, and the desire to do it. Okay, one minute. It's really important, isn't it, as we listen to God's word together, that we don't just hear it and walk away, but we put it into practice. That's why I'm getting you to write it down. Um, Has everyone got their thing? Got your thing written down or clearly in your mind? Now, you might need some motivation, I think, in order to do that this week. Um, How should I motivate you? Should should we go, rah, rah, come on, let's all do it? No. What motivates Christian behavior? Why do we live differently as Christians? the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, remember? Christian behavior flows out of what Jesus has done for us. So the way to motivate ourselves to do this act of humility that we've decided that we're going to do is to look to Jesus as the great model of humility, which is exactly, funny, what Paul does in the next few verses, uh, from verses 5 through to 11. In your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he holds up Jesus as the perfect example of humility. And I want to just try and capture something of what he's saying here. They, they think that Paul's probably quoting an early song that Christians used to sing together, a, a hymn, which speaks about the humility of Jesus, but it basically lays out the gospel. It lays out the good news of everything that Jesus has done. He starts with the big picture. He speaks about Jesus as being in very nature God in verse 6 and as equal with God in that same verse. Basically, he's saying, Jesus, if you're looking for a position of dignity and strength and height, Jesus is equal to God. He is God. Now, if you want to get your head around 
what it means for Jesus to be God. It means a lot of things, but one thing it means is that Jesus is responsible for making the whole of the universe, right? Now, that's too big for for me to get my head around. I find it really hard in terms of the magnitude of the universe to think about it. So I want us to shrink it down and imagine that the earth is the size of this golf ball, right? Shrink ray. Um, To try and get our heads around the size of the universe that Jesus, who is in very nature God, is responsible for making. So if this is the earth, how far away would the sun be? No calling out if you were here this morning. How far do you reckon? 500 metres. Yeah. 500 metres up to Kirk. People might not know where Kirk lives. Kirk might not want to know where people where he is. Um, 500 metres just to the sun. What about Pluto, which is the furthest planet from Earth in the solar system, if in fact it is a planet. It kind of seems to be in and out, and I, frankly, I can't keep up with it. Um, but how far would it be to Pluto if the Earth is the size of a golf ball? 20 kilometres. Flinders Street is probably a bit further than that. 20, 20 kilometres, but that's a fair way, isn't it? We're, we're still just within our solar system, though. Uh, what about the nearest star, Alpha Centauri? That's 136,178 kilometres away. I've, done, I've got too much time to do the calculations. That's a third of the distance from the Earth to the Moon, which is just the nearest star to us. Of course, that's still within our galaxy, the Milky Way. Um, but if you travel 2,000 times from the Earth to the Moon, given that the Earth is only the size of a golf ball, then you are... Um, you're about as far away as we are from the centre of the Milky Way, which is our galaxy. But again, that's only one of an estimated 50 billion galaxies in the entire universe. Okay, I told you it was a big picture. So if Jesus is in very nature God, he's responsible for all of that. He brought all of that into being. Okay, it's a big picture, isn't it? That's how powerful and wonderful and great Jesus is. Now have a look at your finger, and I want you to imagine a two millimeter by two millimeter square on your finger. That's the size of a two-week-old embryo. That's how small Jesus became when he was in his mother Mary's womb, when he came to be born as a baby. He would develop and grow until he was born in a stable behind an inn in an out-of-the-way town called Bethlehem. Uh, That's exactly where Paul goes next when he's quoting this hymn. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The one who made the whole universe was willing to humble himself and become a baby. Now, I hadn't got my head around how amazing this was. I sort of... I must admit, I took this for granted until I went along to a talk of um, uh, the Muslim society when I was at uni. And the speaker was comparing Islam and Christianity, and he dismissed Christianity as ridiculous by saying, can you imagine the great God who made everything becoming a baby and needing someone to change his nappies? I mean, how ridiculous is that? It's impossible. 
For that man to imagine the great God becoming a baby, being so vulnerable and helpless as to need his nappy changed, meant that he just couldn't accept Christianity. But for us, who believe that that's true, it shows us the humility of Jesus, who did create the universe, who was willing to become a baby and have his nappy changed, to lower himself like that. But he goes even further in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, most of us don't have a choice about whether we die. It happens to all of us. 100% of people die. But for Jesus, who is the creator, he became obedient to death. He chose to give up his life and go to the cross. And we kind of take the cross for granted too because we wear it as a symbol around our necks as a cross. It's a very common symbol. But in the ancient world, it was a symbol of humiliation, um, degrading for someone to be humiliated. Here's one of the earliest pieces of graffiti that's been found. This came off a wall in Rome. Um, can you see the picture there? A person hanging on a cross who's got the head of a donkey. And there's a, a young man holding up his hand towards the cross. Uh, the person doing the graffiti, they, they think that um, this was probably done by prison guards and that they're making fun of the person holding their arm up who's a prisoner. But they're, they're saying that how stupid is it if someone is put to death on the cross? They're a fool like that donkey. And the writing underneath it says, Alexamenos worships his God. Alexamenos worships his God. Here's this young man, Alexamenos, raising his hand towards some idiot who was put to death on the cross. So foolish was someone who was crucified considered that they're represented like a donkey. So here's Jesus, responsible for making the vast universe, willing to come to earth, be born as a baby, be vulnerable and have his nappy changed, be willing to go to the cross and be humiliated to deal with our sins. If you want motivation for that act of humility this week, how am I going to act with humility? Here it is, that our great model, the one that we follow, our Lord, our King, was willing to humble himself to that degree, and we are his followers. So we act in humility modelled on Jesus' humility and inspired by what he's done for us. Of course, the story doesn't end with the cross, does it? As the passage ends, Jesus is exalted and he's at the right hand of God. He's the one with all power and authority in the universe. And so as we go out this week to follow Jesus and to act with humility and do these things that we've written down, Jesus is watching over us. We're not going to be in uh, debt to Jesus uh, as we do these acts of humility. He's the one who's overseeing everyone, strengthening us and helping us as the Lord of all. And actually, he's showing us that the path to glory, the way to be raised up, is actually to humble yourself and to serve. And the victory in the end is actually to the one who is willing to serve and be humble and to follow Jesus. So let me pray for us as we go out to do that this week. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you that you have saved us and brought us into relationship with yourself. Thank you that you have given us the perfect example of humility 
and been willing to humble yourself for our sake. Please help us to look to the interests of other people this week. Please help us to value other people ahead of ourselves. Please help us to serve others in the way that you have already served us. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm. 